let me first deal with Tavarish's question. You know what Tavarish means? Friend. Friend, camera. It's a very important question. If we merit, if we are worthy, then somehow we will come to learn the mind. The people in this room. And if we merit more, we'll learn tomorrow the rest of our lives. Whether you become a doctor, a lawyer, or a businessman, or an exporter of wheat to Russia. He's a Russian. How many years are you from Russia? Uh, so it's about four years. Four years. From where? Tashkent. Tashkent. Now, you have to understand what the Gemara is all about. First, I have to explain to you a Gemara in Gitan, a law. We know that the body of Jewish doctrine, Jewish beliefs that we believe in, is given to us in two separate sources. The Torah Shabbat, the written law, and the Torah Shabbat, the oral law. It's vital for you to know this is a very burning, current, relevant question. This is right now on the agenda. It's burning. It's vital for you to know the nature first. Let's study a little bit about Tarshim Iksaf. If you open up the Chumash and you begin to learn Chumash, not the parts where there are histories, the history of Avram, Yitzhak, Yankiv, Mitzrayim, the Shvatim, after, after the revelation of Sinai, you begin to learn laws. You begin to learn laws. Now it's vital for you to know that the Chumash doesn't make sense. In most of the places it doesn't make sense. For instance, a very popular and well-known mitzvah like the mitzvah of Tefillin. You should tie them on your hands and you should place them between your eyes. What? Tie what on your hands? And place what between your eyes? In the written law, in the Darsh of Itzav, it's unpossible, it's impossible to know what a parent film looks like. For instance, another famous mitzvah, the mitzvah of Mila, circumcision on the eighth day of the male. So the Gemara says in the place, how do you know where you do it? Maybe you cut off the tip of his nose, the tip of his ear. It doesn't say in the Chumash where. It just says that there's a bris meal. The mitzvah of shechita, of kosher, slaughtering an animal, an animal, kosher. So I think the Gemara says in the place, how do you know it's in the neck? Maybe you chop off the tip of the tail and you let the blood run out, let, him, let it all run out. Snip off a little piece of the tail and uh, let the blood run out. The Gemara says, Yachom is Navai. How do you know that shit is in the neck? The Gemara says, of course. You'll go through every single mitzvah, almost every single mitzvah, you'll see that the chumish, the written law, as it stands, is, in, is, is lacking wherever you turn. Wherever you turn. The explanation of the written law is, 
in Torah Shabbat in the Aral world. Now, I was expecting it yesterday the day of board. I had carried on this discussion with him recently. He didn't show up, but maybe he wasn't feeling well. He asked me, what, what, what is this? Why, did, why wasn't it all written out? He asked me uh, an obvious question. Why didn't it say in the Chumash? Do this, do that. What's the nature of the Aral law and the What's the nature of the Toshibata? What is it all about? Why is it necessary? I'm going to tell you something very subtle and very deep. It's not my own, but you have to listen closely. In the Chumash, by the creation of man, when man was created, it says in Chumash, Vayipach ba'apov nishmaschai. And the Almighty, Hashem is Boch, breathed into his nostrils, blew into his nostrils a Ruach Haim, a spirit of life. Right? So if I gave you that sentence to translate, you would translate more or less uh, the way I'm translating it. He blew, Vayipach be'apov nishmas He blew into his nostrils a spirit of life. We would say, that's the Nishan of the soul of man. He blew, he, there was a form. The Rabbi took the dust, Rashi says, from the four corners of the earth, mixed it up, put him on a mustache, a little kippur, handsome guy like you, was standing there like this, and then he blew into him a spirit of life. Well and good. In the cargo, Unkolus, on that, on that posik in the Targum Unkolus, the Targum usually sticks to the literal translation. That posik in the Targum Unkolus, the Targum says, the Havit Instead of saying he blew into him a spirit of life, he says, and behold, he became a spirit that speaks. A most most noteworthy deviation from the literal translation. A spirit that speaks. We have to understand when you learn the Targum, it's a, it's a very profound science to start the Targum. The Targum here is simply defining to us the uniqueness of man. There's a whole cosmos. There are, there are wonderful, beautiful creatures in the world. I truly I was talking to Rafael uh, a few weeks ago. We were talking about uh, elks and deers and does. You know, I happened to see them a few times. You know, in, I was riding in a car slowly, and, and one time I was walking. Uh, you know, towards evening time. You know, just in the afternoon, the late afternoon, as the sun is setting. You know, I was amazed. I was, I was standing there, I didn't even want to frighten them. You know, the beauty, it's almost breathtaking, you know, the, 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 the nobility of a, of a young deer, I don't know the exact name for it. You know, the, the, the softness and the poetry of such a situation. The world is filled with beautiful creatures. The world is filled, the world is filled with beautiful creatures. And each one has its unique function. It's unique its unique personality and its unique function. The 
power of speech is endowed only to me. Now, speech, you know, we don't even we don't even know what we're doing. You know, there's a most interesting Gemara, I believe it's a Yerushalmi. Yerushalmi says in the name of Rav Shimon ben Yechoi, he says, Rav Shimon ben Yechoi spoke about, was teaching about the power of speech. So he said, if I were at the time of creation, and if I had any say in how we should create man, I would create man with two mouths. Instead of one mouth, he said, I would make him, it's a Gemara, it's your Shalmi, I believe, it's with two mouths, why? He says, one mouth I would reserve only for Kedusha, for Torah, for sacred things. That mouth would never speak Lashon Hara, would never speak Slander, never speak evil, never be obscene. He says, and the other mouth I would use for worldly matters. So one of, for worldly matters. So one of his disciples were there and asked him, if you would have had any influence at the time of creation, you would have made, two, if you feel that there should be two mouths, he says, why didn't the Rabbanishul make two mouths? He says, you know why? He says, because if we would have had two mouths, we would have spoken Lashon Hara slander with both mouths. But what I want to point out from that Gemara is that Shimon ben Yechoi and great people, they understand the power of speech. Speech is a gift. I speak to musicians and I ask them, when do you begin to teach a child? Four years old, three years old. Can you start when you're 16? So big musicians follow me too late. It's a talent, you gotta work on it. From your earliest youth, you have to develop the muscles. From your earliest youth, you have to train, you know, put in hours every day. And I read that if that if a musician, if a virtuoso musician, skips a day of practice, the talent wanes. In one day, if he skips one day, he is not such a virtuoso, he's not so perfect as he was. He's got to practice every day. The talent is so subtle, so fragile, the talent. He's got to work on it every day. They, they say that the big musicians practice four hours every day. I spoke to, uh, to, to, there was here a brother of one of the fellows here who was very into ballet. So he says, if you skip one day, he says, you can't already do certain, you, you've got to start all over again to do certain. These are talents, these are powers in the human being. Uh, I was once riding in a taxi in, in Manhattan. I took a cab. I had to go someplace with a cab. So I got into a cab. A Jewish taxi driver. Riding. Oh, rabbi. Rabbi. You know, you talk to him. I had to ride with him, I would say, about 20 minutes. So he's speaking to me. He opens a mouth. It was a sewer. He was so obscene. It was a sewer. And he, you know, wanted to show me how Jewish he is. He was a very nice guy. A mouth. I couldn't believe it. So I said to myself, this man doesn't mean to be abusive to me. To me, he speaks with Tarah with respect. 
What's the matter with him? Doesn't he realize that he's... You know, it reminds me of the joke, you know, in Israel, in, uh, in, 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 a, in a school, the uh, principal called the father up that his kid is cursing. He's using obscene language, and he's cursing with the other kids. So the father comes in for others. He says, Ma, Merinu Mekalel, He says, What, my son? And he starts cursing his son and using all sorts of. He uses foul language. He doesn't know, he doesn't realize. What, what is it? The power of speech is so abused, and it's a talent. The power of linguistics. If you go in the higher echelons of science, what is this thing, the power of speech? It's the most delicate, the most holy gift that man has, the power of speech. But we don't know what? What is he talking about? Speech, you know. What do you call it today? A rap session. Rap, 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 rap. What do you call it? The power of speech. The Talmud says, that the greatness and the uniqueness of man, that this what the Chumash says, that, the, that it wouldn't say such words in Chumash, you couldn't express such words. It's only Nebuah that can say that the procedure of creating man was he blew into his nostrils and the shaman of life. And the Talmud says, you know what that is? What that distinguishing feature is? The power of speech. That's the crown of man. That's where he, where he rises above. All the beauties of nature. Power of speech. Now, let's get back to Sinai. And when the Torah was given, the Torah wasn't a Boy Scout book, a handbook to a person do a good deed every day. Follow these instructions, take an old lady and see that she crosses the main street out across the street. The Torah is not a good book. The Torah is a type of Chochmah that addresses itself to every aspect of human existence, to every depth of human existence, to the very roots of where a human being grows and comes from. The pinnacle in this world, in, worldly, in the empirical world, in this world, the pinnacle of, of, of a human being is his power of speech. The Torah wasn't given to a book. Do you know that it's a very interesting thing that there is no university in the world, there's no school in the world where they learn like they learn in the yeshiva. You see somebody sitting, somebody sitting singing a song. Can you imagine going into university and saying, Square, the base angles of an assassin's triangle are equal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, but you understand? The Gemara comments about this. You must listen. The Gemara makes a very, a very comments about this. The Gemara says, an apostate, initially I believe it is, Chaim Chaim Heim Lemotz Ehem which means that the Torah is life to those that find it. So the Gemara says, there's a Korean exib, so the Gemara says, The Gemara says that the Torah is a source of life only if when you study, 
you articulate the words that you study. You're learning about, you're learning about, uh, you're learning about, I've heard people learn with all kind of, there was a fellow yeshiva used to learn with that part of the symphony. With that symphony he used to learn. You don't see such things in the universe. Why? Because the Torah must interact. It must interact with the highest expression of humanity, which is the power of speech. It must touch and saturate and interact. There must be a, a, an osmosis procedure with, no, you, can, you could be a genius and say, they look like this. No, you're not doing good enough. You're not doing good enough. According to Talmudic law, you're not doing good enough. Not doing good enough. Because the relationship between me and the Torah, the Jew and the Torah, has to be in, in the highest and deepest forces that he possesses. Yet, therefore, the Torah was given in the dyadic tradition, in a, in a dual tradition, a Torah Shebeksaf, a written law and an oral law. There had to be the oral involvement it had to be something that went me pet or pet from mouth to mouth. Hold on, woman, coming to you. Hold on. We'll take all questions when I finish. I'll lose my thread. There's yet more to speak in this. I, I want to watch the time. The Torah had to be a Torah Shabbat and a Torah Shabbat. And the completion of the written law had to be the involvement of the mouth. You look in the Rambam, in the very beginning of his Sefer, he, he says, Moshe Kibbul Torah Sinai, and he counts out the generations, all the way down. Moshe gave it to Yeshua and the Zakanim, and they gave it to this, and they gave it to Shmuel Novi, Shmuel Dachi Yashilani, and to Dover Melech, and all the way down, all to Rabbi Akiva, all the way down. There's a long list, remind me to show you, all the way down how the thing was transferred thoroughly. It was transferred organically involving the most dynamic factors in, 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 a, in, in a human being. That's Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat. There came a point in history, getting closer to your question, where the Rambam writes, the Golos began to develop, diaspora, being the displaced post person, the DP, Panamayich. Jews began to move. You go to France, a guy lives in France, he's been there who knows how many centuries. A Jew, he was born in Bukhara, he ends up in Queens. It's a hard thing. You gotta learn a new language, a new culture. Oh, it's very hard. So the, so the Rambam brings, the Gemara brings it in a place also, that sorrows, persecutions, obstacles, difficulties, began to be set and the our law began to shake you can only transmit Torah about Peh on the normal peaceful consecutive conditions <coughs> if there's a war and this and that so Rabbeinu HaKadosh of Yehuda and Asi 
saw what was happening, and he went and he took the oral law, which was not permitted to be written. The Gemara has to find the license. They took the oral law and they recorded it in the Mishnahites. One minute, and I'm finished. After him, about 100 or 200 years after him, the trouble became more intensified. Rabina and Ravashi saw that it's getting bad. It's going to affect the memories. So they recorded the whole Gemara. And they canonized it and they, and they closed the Gemara. Rabina and Ravashi. Now, here we are. Let's imagine that we were living in the times of Rabbeinu HaKadosh and the times of Rabina and Ravashi. And we're meeting, and this is a convention of Jewish Talmud HaChemim, of scholars, of leaders of that generation, and we have convened to deal with the problem that there is persecution, there are problems, there is unrest, there are wars, there are people being sent into diaspora, and we want to contain and guard and save the body of the Aral law. So, this young man will say, okay, we'll record one moment. Sure, we're going to record it. We're going to write everything out. You can't write everything out. You can't write. Why can't you write everything out? This is a difficult concept. Not everything in Torah is for everybody. What do I mean by that? It's a democracy. Oh, yes. Everything in Torah, the truth in Torah is for everybody. But in order to understand certain things in Torah, you have to be fit to understand that. You're going to go to a, you go to a guy on the Bowery, I don't know if you've ever seen these drunks that are rolling around in the street on the Bowery, and you're going to speak to him and try to explain to him the chapter in the Yechezkel and Ezekiel about his vision of the mighty throne of the Almighty. What, what are you talking to him? What are you talking about? He's a drunk. What are you, what are you, what are you, what are you talking to him about? The, the, the throne of the Almighty? I mean, these esoteric things. How can you speak to him about that? You can't... You, he, he is... You have to be in a certain level of intellectual and moral and ethical tahara purity to discuss certain matters. Are you come, I come into a house and mean, says to me, why don't you modernize the religion of Israel? The man is in the tire business. He sells auto tires. A whole day, his mind is in business. And, and, and now he's drinking a cup of tea at night, so he all of a sudden becomes a theologian. Can I go over 10 minutes over a cup of tea and, dis, and, and, and discuss with him honestly, intellectually, honestly, why, why we're not changing anything? I could say to him if I was honest and I, and I wasn't be afraid of insulting and abusing, say, look, mister, I appreciate your interest. You want to really know? Come to Yeshiva, take off six months, and sit down and learn something. And we'll discuss it honestly. We'll try. Either you will convince me or I'll convince you. But over a cup of tea for 10 minutes, you want to explain? I should explain to you something that exists there uh, over 2,000 years. In, 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 you know, please, you're not, you're not authentically interested in what we're doing. And it's not fair to me to discuss these things I mean, there are matters and there are issues in Torah that. that there, there are issues in Torah that, you know, that I fear to look at. There are esoteric matters. There are matters that require purity and holiness before you even begin to think about such things. I like a steak with, the, with, with, with a hot dog. I mean, where do I come to discuss the matters that the Chafetz Chaim discussed? 
And a person, this above all, to thine own self be true. When they had to write down the body, the entire body of the Torah law, the written law, and the oral law, there were things they could not write down. They couldn't come over to say, uh, open up the Gemara, and somebody, and somebody, and there are Gemaras. There's a Gemara in Brother Basra, it says, there was an eagle, I mean, I think the Gemara says it was as big as a 747 plane, an eagle. And it laid an egg that the egg cracked and it flooded the city. Does that make sense? Any baby sees that, that, that this is a code? Any baby sees that this is a code? That they're saying something? In the Gemara, you find places all over, very interesting, peculiar things. I'll give you an example. There's a Gemara in Akkayism of a comment. The Gemara says like this. The Gemara discusses a certain law. So the Gemara says, uh, the question, does he have to pay or he doesn't have to pay? So the Gemara says, Rabbi Yankif Mishara. Rabbi Yankif has to pay. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Yankif has to pay? What does Rabbi Yankif have to pay? What did he do? So the Gemara says, oh, excuse me. Rabbi Yankif Oimer Mishara. Rabbi Yankif said he must pay. So I ask you, it sounds ridiculous. We're discussing the law. Does he have to pay or doesn't he have to pay? So it's the opinion of Rabbi Yankif that he does have to pay. So it should say, Rabbi Yankif, Oimer Mishara, he has to pay. So in the line before, no, it doesn't say that. It says, Rabbi Yankif Mishara, Rabbi Yankif has to pay. And he talks on that tomorrow. He says, isn't it... Obvious that, that it's ludicrous. What do you mean, Rabbi Yankif has to pay? Rabbi Yankif didn't do anything. Rabbi Yankif is just the one that said he did. And it goes into, oh, I, mean, I, I couldn't even follow. I mean, I went a line of and I stopped. I said, it's not for me. It's obvious that when a nation saw fit to take such a thing as the oral law and record it, they couldn't record the oral law verbatim. I mean, it's like a government. It's like a government. The government, do you believe that we know the secrets of the United States government? Here and there we find out that a CIA officer was killed in Greece. I mean, are we aware that there's a CIA? We know there's a CIA. We don't know what they're doing. And they're right. What are they going to go tell me what they're doing? I know what they're doing. These are not issues for a layman. The same thing when they wrote down the Gemara. The Gemara says about you burn your cat and put it on the eye. The Gemara is not a book of witchcraft. The, the Gemara is not a book of witchcraft. The Gemara is a book of the Torah Shabbat, of the oral of the law, and, and it cannot be. There's, there's, there's the great majority of the Gemara is ultimate as obvious. But it's also obvious that in many, many places in the Gemara you see that you don't know what the Gemara is saying. You don't know what the Gemara is saying. Yes? Yeah, but when it says so, it also says that you should not do it uh, before you're some age. Whatever it says in any of those commandments, what not, what it doesn't it doesn't say you go crazy. It, 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 whatever you see any of those commandments, <coughs> there's more commandments. There's commandments about medicine. You'll take a look in the in the introduction to the Ayanke from Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzako. He says the Gemara were not doctors. It wasn't a scientific laboratory. The medicine in the Gemara is not relevant to us. Anybody who follows the Gemara, the medicine in the Gemara is crazy. He'll get sick. He'll get sick. One, one moment. Oh, but the medicine in the Gemara was a device of recording something that they wanted to record in that fashion 
which it was not obvious that God lived in a God of medicine, but the ones who know, the ones that are, who, who privy knowledge, who, who are, who, who know how to learn the mark, big, big tzaddikim, a big piece, they understand the piece of the mark, he had how to take apart a piece of the mark. It's, this is a device for us to preserve what has to be preserved through goats. So it's a code. It's a code. In certain places, they're already in the, in the Rishonim that already point out what certain things mean. Okay? What was the other question? The meaning of Revelation and Sinai. Alright, listen, I'll tell you something. I'm tired, so I can't resist you. I'll tell you a very interesting thing. It's relevant to this conversation, too. Yesterday, I met with a fellow who was a really a very big genius, and we were discussing. You ever heard of Wittgenstein, Bertrand Russell? Yes. It's logical positivism. You know, it's a method, a contemporary method of philosophy, which they maintain is the most potent and that from the times of uh, Socrates and down, philosophy hardly means full of nonsense, except if you use this method of, uh, of logical positivism. I'm going to tell you something. And you have to listen. It's not easy stuff. There's a Peyrick in Pirkei Yavis. Give me a sitter, I can show you that. Oh, thank you, Dr. Bettner. In Pirkei Yavis, it says the following. A very peculiar Peyrick. Here. It's the fifth Peyrick. The first Mishnah in the fifth parent. The Asura Mamoros The world was created. It's a Mishnah in the ethics of our fathers. The world was created with ten articulations. The Almighty emanated ten, issued forth ten articulations that created the world. So the Mishnah is What is the meaning of it? The omnipotent one, the Almighty, that could create a word ex nihilo out of nothing, ex nihilo out of nothing, with ten articulations, could he create a world with one articulation? The Mishnah says a very peculiar, a very peculiar answer. Elo lehipora min rishoyim shema abdim nisa'olim shenivra basara mamaros. You want to know why it necessitated ten articulations? So the evil people, when they do evil, so the Almighty will revenge himself against them. The litin sachatoy v'tzadikim, and to give reward. To give reward to the pious ones that sustain a world which was created, created with ten dictums, ten articulations. So the morale and all the big commentaries here, the meaning, the Mishnah seems to be funny. It doesn't make sense. For instance, if I have a house that's worth, it's worth $50,000, $100,000, I'll go to the insurance company and I'll insure it for $2 million. Then it'll burn down. It's ridiculous. The house is only worth $100,000. What should you get $2 million for? 
Oh, you don't the kosai. Well, it burned down. I want to collect two million dollars. It doesn't work that way. You insure it for its value. If this is a world, if this is a world where the world value is one articulation, one articulation. Hello, the man Boris. What do you mean? You, you you went through a long route in order to punish the evil ones. You see, I took me ten steps to create the world, and you did this and this. In the world, it took ten steps. Therefore, you get tenfold punishment. And in order to give, and in order to give reward to the tzaddikim that they behave themselves in the world that took ten steps. I mean, it doesn't make sense. You could have made it for one step. Why are you making it difficult? It's a very logical question. The morale is this question. His answer is fantastic. Because you missed the whole point in the Mishnah. He says, if the world would have been created the Mamarechot with one articulation, so what would we know? We would know there's a world Significant this and that. But we would, the world, what's given? If we were to philosophically approach the world, we say there's a world and that's it. He says, but now that the world was created with Asura Mamoros, with, with ten articulations, what do we see? We see a series, we see an order. We see an order. We see an outstanding feature of the world is that there is a fantastic order in the world. Any scientist that's worth his salt will tell you that what astonishes scientists most is the order that there is in every field in chemistry, in physics, and in, in, in electromagnetism, wherever you go, wherever you go, in every field of science, in medicine, What's, what impresses one most is the fantastic order that exists in the physical world. In this Mishnah, it says that this, that the world was created with ten steps, was to teach men that in the spiritual world, too, there is a fantastic order. There is a fantastic, there must be an order. There must be an order. And all the ills and all the woes and all the sorrows and all the tragedy and all the anguish and heartbreak of me is because the world lacks the symmetry that it should have. In this Mishnah it says that when a fellow goes and sins and creates evil in the world, they're telling him, listen, you're disturbing the symmetry, you're breaking the norm. And when a person does what's right, they're not giving him points. They're telling him, look, you are sustaining and you're strengthening the symmetry in the world. That's the meaning of this mission. It becomes increasingly clear we live in a world of phenomenal wisdom, phenomenal <clears throat> development in technology. Believe me, if we brought down here a big professor of computers, and he would try to explain to us what a computer can do. Our mind can't grasp it. Our mind can't grasp it. I once heard a lecture on computers. I mean, years ago, when it first came out, the guy said it would take a thousand accountants to work a thousand years to solve this problem that the computer solves in an hour. A thousand accountants for a thousand years to get the information that the computer gives in an hour. We say, we went to Mars, yippee. Do you know what it takes to go to Mars? You know how many instruments? You have no idea 
of the of physics. If you listen, you, I, I read physics. I was, uh, what do I know about? I, I know a little bit. I, I'm reading Max Planck, you know, with light, with this, with the quantum theory. My head begins to spin. My head, you read Heisen's, Heisenberg's law of the indeterminability of matter. My mind, my mind spins. I, I got a headache from thinking about it. Advances in medicine, advances in science. What's the state of the world? The state of the world is. I look, I, I look in the paper every day. This guy was shot. This guy was robbed. This one was raped. This one was mutilated. This one, you have King Arthur Street at night. It's not only here. Insanity in all the universities. A total moral and ethical collapse. It doesn't make sense. What, what is all the wisdom doing? Where is the wisdom? You would think that you go into a university, you would see people are calm and at peace and, and an ethical beauty. You would think you come in there. I was in a university a few years ago. I, I didn't know where I was. I was, I was frightened. I was frightened. I was listening to people talk. I don't even understand half of the language. The terminology. I don't understand the cool language. And this is not just, you know, my reaction. This is, this is a secular reaction. We know, we know that the world, we're living in a world right now, if you press a button, and you go, there's two places in the world, where you press that button, the world is over. The world is over. There's a place where the guy has a jar this big, that if that jar breaks, it can wipe out a half a world with the germ of it. Everybody knows that, everybody knows that. There's something asymmetrical in the world. This, the world order is totally distorted and perverted. What happened to the teachings of Aristotle? What philosophy is 2,000 years old and older? I asked the question. There must be, I don't think I'm exaggerating if I say that there are 2,000 professors of philosophy in the United States and universities. Certainly not. Did you ever hear of a professor of philosophy that has a following of a thousand disciples? I never heard of such a thing. Sidney Hook, who's the old man of philosophy here in New York City, if he has ten disciples, it's a lot. And if they're disciples, it's only, you know, in, in the mind. It doesn't affect their lives. One could be a drunk, and one could be a dope addict, and the other bankrupt. Because the total wisdom of the world doesn't address itself to the total mechanism of the human being. It doesn't. Somebody can ask, what is the 613 mitzvahs in those four big books with the thousands of laws, the Code of Jewish Laws? What is it? It's symmetry. It's balance. It's control. It's direction. In, in a tempestuous sea, you have to have a navigator. You have to have some sort of a navigation. You have to know where you're going. No human mind. You can take all the philosophers that ever existed from the dawn of history, from the beginning of philosophy, until the end of time and put them together. They can't put together a system. They cannot put together an abstract logical system that addresses itself to the reality of any person in this room. Okay? The reason reason that Torah had to be revealed, that it had to be revelation, because there had to be a wisdom that came from a place 
where the beginning of men came from. There had to be, there had to be a, a body of chokhmah in the world that touched every aspect, every cell of the human being. Otherwise, it's not relevant. It cannot, we believe that Moshe Rabbeinu went to Sinai, the Rabbeinu Shalom gave him a Torah. Because no one can give a Torah for all people, for any person. What's good for Aristotle is not good for Schopenhauer. What's good for Schopenhauer is not good for Henry Bergson. It's simply not good for us. A body of laws that should address itself to people can only be given to the Torah. This is why this is why turned out to be revealed. Do you think that uh, philosophers waste their time with what they do, with uh, their theories and their everything? This makes it sound like they work very little. But... <sighs> That's an oversimplification. My personal belief: there is there is a value in philosophy as a technique. In other words. Person doesn't know how to think. He's not trained. His mind is untutored. Uh, various philosophies have uh, brought certain points into focus. That brought through their thinking and through their techniques of analysis have brought certain points into focus. You wouldn't you'd be amazed at the, at the foolishness sometimes that you find in, in the very great philosophers. If you read Aristotle sometimes, you can find things there that, that, that are ridiculous. Uh, I personally, I, the, I mean, I'm not coming here to say with a wave of the hand that, you know, the 2,000 years of philosophy is nothing. I mean, I'm, I'm not that naive. But as a system to develop a person to make him reach his highest dimensions, I have not seen a person who has grown from philosophy. If philosophy is a mental exercise. In certain areas, for instance, in ethics, in a way, they brought into focus there is such a thing as ethics. But it, it doesn't. It's not. It's not a dynamic. It's not a dynamic force in society. None of us, or our parents, or our friends, or our classmates, are ethical because there is there is a science of ethics in philosophy. There are people, and you must know, there are people, right or wrong. I'm talking from a purely secular point of view, who laugh at philosophy. And you have to know that the latest philosophers, the, the logical positivists. In a way, they 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 also they also uh, aren't too awed by whatever was before them. What will be after them? I don't know. So the impression you just gave me was that philosophy is good, but not to the extent that it's used today. Or philosophy is good. It's a mental exercise. There are derivatives, there are benefits that one could get from philosophy that can enlighten you or nothing, but it's not a total, it's not a system for living. It's not something to compel you to get up in the morning, do this and do that. So it feels overused? 
I feel it's misunderstood and abused. I think it's misunderstood. Yeah, yeah, Reverend Fall. Yeah, in the realm of the Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, well, revelation. Why there's no revelation? Today, this is an interesting shmuz. This is shmuz by itself. You know, there are, there are different madregas. There are different categories of revelation. The chief and primary category of revelation is nevuah. Then there is a secondary source, which has certain told us certain subcategories, which is called ruach HaKodesh. Well, you've lost that today as well. Wait, I don't know. I don't know. We have to understand the distinctions between Rebua and Ruach HaKodesh. Then, there is a Gemara in Baba Basra, which says, Chochem Adaf Minadit, a most, a most enchanting Gemara. The Gemara says, the wise man is Adaf, is superior to the prophet. And this has to have an explanation, and perhaps at a different time we'll talk about it, because this is, this is, I don't want to just skim over this. Uh... Yes, Shlomo. Uh, I want to ask, like, now the kid demands that you know, the 12th grade will hear, the graduating year. Some kids think about college, she would have eyes, some kids are thinking about college. What do you think about the college? Well, I think the following, a person has to uh, survive in this world. Uh, did you go to college? Me, no. Went to... I didn't go. To, I just went to Yeshiva. But uh, a person has to have a profession. A person has to have a source of making a living. If you could climb up the side of a building and get into a fourth floor without being caught, you don't have to go to college. <laughs> you understand? But very few of us can do that. You understand? You, you, we have to have a way of living. There's some people that thought that, uh, you know, they're born... Uh, you know, there are people that, that have tremendous genius in their hands. I know there are young men in yeshiva. Some of them I tell them not to go to college at all. They're fantastically powerful and creative with their hands. Some of them are tremendous businessmen. Tell them not to waste their time, go out of the business. And they did it, and they're doing very well. Others feel that they want other profession. They, they, well, they're married and they learn, and some of them are part-time in yeshiva. Some of them should go to college. You understand? One thing you have to be very careful when you go to college. You should see it shouldn't interfere with your education. <laughs> and, it's a, and it's a reality. Yes? What about going to college for the sake of learning, not just for the sake of the job? To go to college for the sake of learning, here already I have doubts. For instance, I didn't go to school. And if I would have gone to, to college, it would have hampered my learning. If you want to learn, really, you understand, this is already uh, a problem that, you know, from training. Well, you're trained, if you want to learn something, you have a teacher spoon feed you, but that's ridiculous. If you want to learn, really want to learn, there are enough books, there are enough sources where you can learn in, in one week what it takes you two months to learn in school. To learn for the sake of learning, you don't have to go to college. Unless 
For instance, it's a technical thing like chemistry. Chemistry, if you're brilliant, you don't even need a... But if it's certain technical things, that you need a laboratory and someone to initiate you into the uh, incipitory stages of the wisdom. Otherwise, you're Jeff? What about the Indian, though, when you put yourself in a college environment and all the that's a different discussion. That's already... You see, that's a different discussion. You're right, 100%. You know, you graduated college. So, but, but we're talking about now the attitude on the, you know, the objective, is it, you know, in itself, it's all merit. Yeah, 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 you're 100%, Jeff, but I don't think that Shlomo, you see, is, is going to deal with that right now. But you can't get around the you're taking you away, you're taking yourself away from certain things and you're placing yourself in the environment of other things. You can't get away with that environment. It's in college. There's two places where you have the Sabra East there and another place. The Sabra East, they sell Sashish Kabbat. <laughs> 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 Gentlemen, you must excuse me. You must excuse me. Just, safe. I, I must rush away. I have an appointment with